So I'm with Courtney Young. Hi, Courtney. Hi. Hi, Serge. So, Courtney, how did you get to do what you're doing today? <laughs> um, I was uh, in the 1970s. Um, I was living in a part of a uh, very flat part of England called East Anglia, round the corner from um, Neil's school, Summerhill. Mm-hmm. And we were sending our kids there, or we were wanting to send our kids there. And the we had three children within five years, and that's enough to sort of tip any relationship <laughs> into um, a crisis. So I started therapy. And because of Neil's relationship with Reich and friendship with Reich, looked towards body-oriented psychotherapy. And the only thing around really at that time in in the UK was some of Gerda Boyerson's uh, trainees um, and David Bordella, who just lived too far away. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that's where we, that's where I started getting into therapy, and then then left teaching and and started training in psychotherapy. Um, worked with David. David Bordella on his book Life Streams, um, and then moved up to a community in the northeast of Scotland called the Findhorn Foundation, and found myself sort of the resident psychotherapist there for about 17 years. Yeah. So. Uh, so. So tell maybe what was that community like? What's um I mean, it's uh, uh, it was a new age community, a little bit like Esalen and Big Sur. Um, you know, everyone's doing their own thing, slightly hippie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good place to reparent myself and also to bring up my youngest child. Um, and I was also called on people uh, when people went into crisis. So I was doing a lot of spiritual emergence type of work. Um, along the lines of Groth's work, but not using his techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of finding a synthesis of what I'd been trained in, which was essentially biodynamic psychology and massage, mm-hmm. and some of sort of neo-Reichian vegetotherapy from David Bordella, um, as well as some of his structures. Um, I worked with Lowen and, uh, not with Lowen, with Paracos. Mm-hmm. and um, a few others. And then what happened at Findhorn was that Arnie Mindell and some of his people started coming over and being invited over. So I got a whole new sort of input um, of that process-oriented psychotherapy mm-hmm. work, which was, a, and again, a very nice adjunct, um, all combined with, building houses and, you know, doing the things that one does in community. Right, right. So, so in a way, um, your, your um, exposure to uh, body psychotherapy and your uh, a substantial part of your practice afterwards was within the context of improving your own life and, uh, uh, and, 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 help other people improve their own life in a, almost a utopian context. 
and I don't mean utopian in a negative way, but just in trying to realize something that is not just fixing, uh, you know, fixing people and. Uh, oh yeah, I mean it, it. It was it was a long, quite a long way away from the clinical, medical, um, diagnostic type of um, experience that many people have. Um, a lot of the people who were coming, I mean, there was a nice mixture of uh, people within the community who were pretty holistic, pretty into um, alternative medicine, um, complementary medicine, new age thinking, um, had probably done quite a lot of work on themselves. Uh, a mixture of that with local people um, who from a very rural area in northeast Scotland, you know, weren't quite so aware or weren't quite so um, conscious of some of the dynamics that operate around us. And then the the occasional guest who either wanted sessions or was having experiences or, or, or even went into crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then dealing with you know, the whole of that sort of quite intense um, work in on many different levels and how to change a crisis into an opportunity, how to make it a spiritual emergence as opposed to an emergency. And, yeah, it was a, yeah. It was, um, it was a fertile uh, cauldron. But as I hear it is actually... Um it was not just one sort because you had people um, who were pretty sophisticated in terms of their past history and their own uh, outlook and process of transformation, but you were also dealing with rural people uh, where this was not the case. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was one guy would come over from the Isle of Lewis, which is on the other side of Scotland. Mm-hmm having to catch a ferry and then a three-hour bus ride and then another bus ride, he would stay, I would see him on Saturday morning mm-hmm. and again on Sunday morning and he would leave um, and catch the ferry back. And, and you know, and it's, it's so sort of um, Protestant that the ferries don't run on Sunday, so he would sleep on the ferry on Sunday night mm. and it would go across first thing Monday morning. He was a weaver on the Isle of Lewis. Wow. <laughs> you know, so so it was, I mean, that was perhaps the most extreme case, but it was, you know, very, very, um, very, very uh, rural, very, very um, religiously controlled society. Mm-hmm. Um, and huge level, high levels of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those were some of the issues that he was bringing. Um, yeah. But then I was also working exactly at the same time with somebody from California who was ex- going, beginning to realize that she had been sexually abused by her father and, um, you know, was, was a storyteller and was telling herself stories as a child. And these were some of the stories that were coming out and, you know, quite, quite sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it was it was it was an interesting mix. And so, um, 
part of certainly your own interest and the interest of the community was in something that was more transpersonal, more spiritual. Uh, how did you dance with that with people who did not have necessarily the same uh, outlook? Or did they? Because you said there was a very religious community. Was that the bridge? Or no, no, no. The, 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 the religious community in Scotland is quite Calvinistic and, mm-hmm. and is, is almost totally against anything New Age. We were the, the effectively the Antichrist. Mm. Um, although that view has been moderated over the years. I mean, we're talking more than 20 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it taught me to meet people, try to meet people where they are. That views that I may have are mine, and they're coming to me probably for something different. And so, an amalgam or fantasy of what, what, what they think I'm, I'm about, but you know, it's it's really trying to meet the person where they're at mm-hmm. in that moment in time. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, yes, some of these views are interesting, but they, they may not be pertinent. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, with the passage of time, my question may not be easy to answer, but is there an example that you might have of, say, a moment where you were realizing the difference between your views and uh, and the person you were dealing with and and of you know what did it feel like how did you shift gears how did you uh, um, have a sense of creating a bridge uh well on one level almost all the time because i think that when in in therapy with somebody as the therapist or indeed as the client um we 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 try to meet them and there's a constant reappraisal of where they're at and 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 where, how we meet and what is not being met and i mean that gets us away a little bit from body psychotherapy but um these interactive processes and and the experience of these and then the rechanneling of these experiences and the labeling of these and was that a good feeling or was that you know did that not work is i think a lot of what therapy is about mm-hmm. um i i'm going to sort of divert away from that question a little sure. bit because what was also significant in those years was that about the mid-1990s, um, there was a whole political situation about body psychotherapy in the UK and in Europe, uh-huh. which really occupied me almost obsessively uh-huh. for about 15 years. And that was to establish body psychotherapy as part of the independent profession of psychotherapy, which was being created in Europe. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean a profession independent to psychology 
or independent from psychology and psychiatry, a sort of a third, a third profession somewhere in between the two. Right. Um, and in Europe, there is a, a very strong tradition of lay people being trained into psychotherapy, i.e. you do not need a psychology degree, though obviously it can be useful. Uh-huh. Um, and therefore, there's a, 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 a huge um, body, if I can use the word, of experiential teaching rather than academic teaching. Uh-huh. So most of psychotherapy training in Europe is much more experiential than academic. Yeah. Um, just recently have they started to bring in master's degrees and things like this, as well as the training. But in the middle of the 1990s, I found myself being the sort of general secretary of the European Association of Body Psychotherapy and going to these meetings all over Europe trying to make sure that when one draws a line around what is psychotherapy and what is not psychotherapy, body psychotherapy was inside the line. Mm, Yeah. And there was a point when it might not have been. Right. So And that's about the same time as when I first came to the, oh, I think it was my second visit to the States. But it was for for that first conference in um, uh, Beverly, Massachusetts. Uh Mm-hmm where we sort of tried to encourage you guys to join, to form an association of body psychotherapy um, rather than the mix that there was then between body therapy and body psychotherapy and there was a little bit of this and a little bit of that and that was the formation of the USABP. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, that was that sort of whole political, what I call the political side of body psychotherapy, um, occupied a lot of my time. Right, and it is about it. It was about um, gaining recognition for body psychotherapy as a profession, and uh, not something that would be more related to say body therapy and outside of psychotherapy, uh, and not something that would just depend on uh, um, uh, academic learning, but something yes. where the validity of it as a branch of psychotherapy and the experiential uh, part of it uh, were fully given credit. Very much so. That that body psychotherapy is a legitimate mainstream branch of psychotherapy that um, the standards that we were setting for the whole of psychotherapy were four years of postgraduate study Um that body psychotherapy certainly fell within that, that there was sufficient then, and there's even more now, um, academic papers and books and journals and and so forth to support um, this being seen as a legitimate mainstream of of psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. and I'm glad to say now, particularly with movements, um, with the with the development of neuroscience and, and so on and so forth, that this is much more generally being recognized that body psychotherapy as a field has quite a lot to offer the other branches of psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. 
and I wish, if I had a wish for <laughs> the USABP, it would be to, you know, form a division of, of the APA, a body psychotherapy division of the APA or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really get that established. And, and you're, Continuing to work on this, at this point you're involved in the translation of the handbook of body psychotherapy. Well, not the translation, because my German is uh, appalling. I'm the English editor. Editor. Of the translated parts, uh, well, and the, and the, and the, the parts that are in, originally in English, of the Handbook of Body Psychotherapy, which is edited by Gustav Marlock and, and Halko Weiss. And has came out in Ger- in German in 2006. Uh-huh. It's already into its second printing. So what we're looking now to do, we've got most of the chapters. I mean, we're talking of, uh, uh, when I say a handbook, it's a f- it's a fistful because it's it's a hundred chapters and a thousand pages. Wow. Um, but those chapters that were originally written in English and then translated into German don't need so much editing. But the chapters that were originally written in German and have been translated into English do need editing mm-hmm. because of the different language styles. So, yes, that's my task for 2010. So, of course, as you're immersed into this, um, I'm assuming that a lot of the day-to-day preoccupations have to do with language and, um, uh, you know, clarity. And But what's, um, what's it like for you to have been and continue to be immersed in so many different approaches? You know, how does it... Um, influence your sense of what body psychotherapy is, your practice? Oh, well, um, I, I, would, I would now say that I do not have a particular approach of body psychotherapy. Um, I'm, when I'm practicing, when I'm working with people, and interestingly enough, I, I work in the National Health Service, in the UK, seeing people in doctor's surgeries. So I'm not allowed to touch. So I, I, I do body psychotherapy without touch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the, the, the whole person. The, and I'm not saying that other people don't, of course, but I'm seeing them also from a particular perspective. For example, when people are referred with anxiety and depression, mm-hmm which I would say most people, maybe 70-80% of them are, um, I see anxiety and depression from the perspective of an imbalance of the autonomic nervous system. Mm-hmm. A combination of life stress, possibly a grief, some unresolved grief issues, possibly some some you know, anxiety issues as well, but basically an imbalance of the autonomic nervous system. I teach that in the first session. Mm-hmm. I explain that to them. I say there's nothing wrong with you, but there's a whole lot that's gone on wrong around you. So that's, I want to I, I want to I want to stop you here a little bit to go a little slowly because um, in a way uh, you know that's a part of. Um, um, what's you're describing here is actually there's an outlook um, that you look at it as 
as in a way a symptom more than quote an illness. Oh, uh, absolutely. And uh, and that part of what you do is you say from the get go, from the first session, is uh, to teach people about it so that uh, you're also um, uh, in the teaching mode, uh, just in that turning people away from the model of um, doctor and patient, uh, where yes, they're coming... Even though I'm in a GP surgery, right? and they think there's something wrong with them because they've got to see a counselor or because they're on antidepressants or because they've been diagnosed with depression and they've scored so much on this particular scale or that particular scale, there isn't anything wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important to, you know, work towards, and I, when I say I teach them, uh, I will teach them a little bit about the ANS, mm-hmm. but I encourage them, I suggest to them ways in which they can rebalance that mm-hmm. through exercise and relaxation. Right. And so we're, we're immediately into ways in which self-empowerment, self-motivation, you know, self-help techniques, what works for you, etc., etc. Um, I'm not doing anything as a therapist. Mm-hmm. In that sense, doing anything. You know, I'm being with them, and we're looking at how they can help themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for, for me, body psychotherapy and the whole concept of self-regulation um, is absolutely essential. And, right. and I find that the more that people try and do as a therapist, then the more we create the gulf of therapist patient and, you know, then ones at some point that's got to be, uh, worked with differently. Yeah. So, so what you're, you're, um, doing your best to shift that model to one in which you are actually reframing the issue and then coaching or training the person uh, to use approaches that help them experience the situation differently by retraining their ANS. Essentially, yes. That doesn't mean to say that... I mean, that may be just... For, you know, I'm seeing somebody probably for six to eight sessions on average. Mm-hmm. Um... You know, they, whilst the clinics I work in don't have a, a rigid um, cut-off point, um, I, I sometimes I see people for 20 sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, I space it out over about two or three weeks between sessions, so that it will I'll be seeing somebody for about three months, but only maybe six to eight sessions within that period. Um, yeah, it, it works. Mm-hmm. No, that's a very interesting. I mean, I think it's good that you you mentioned this because it gives a context. Uh, it's not say the same thing as somebody who comes from a psychoanalytic background and is expected to see somebody for several years, uh, uh, at least once or twice a week. Uh, but we're talking about uh, time limited interventions within the case of a system which is managing mental health. Yeah, and. Whilst the first session we may be discussing the autonomic nervous system, the second session they will be coming back and saying, well, yes, I still don't feel very good about myself, and so we're into low self-esteem, and therefore 
you know, where might you have picked that up and, you know, we can bring in the psychodynamic side there or what can you do about that? We can, we can stay more in the here and the now and, and, and be proactive and, um, you know, how, how supportive are the people around you and, and so there's a social context. And, you know, I'm, I, 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 I'll work with whatever works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I firmly believe that the, the people are people with, with a history and within an environment. And so, I'm not just working with them. They're not just working with the traditional sort of psychodynamic approach, um, the patient, the, the, the history, the family history, you know, the, the, the muscular tensions that arose from this. And this is a, this is quite, for me, quite a narrow perspective. It's important. Mm-hmm. But it's not all. So, um, as I'm hearing you, it feels like... Get out and dance, and <laughs> if they can have, you know, a, a bottle of wine with a friend, you know, this can be just as good for their self-esteem as um, any psychotherapy session. Right, right. So as I'm as I'm listening to you, what I'm having a sense of is that um, the awareness of the body and the various approaches that you you know used in body psychotherapy are not necessarily something that you want to use as a technique, but that has been important in order to make you aware of what to look for and how to perceive people. And then you have, um, you know, when you, you say you deal with people at their, uh, you know, where they are, meet them where they are, uh, you're not necessarily doing body psychotherapy with them, but you're dealing with their issues informed by your knowledge of body psychotherapy. Yeah. Pretty much, yes. Yes. I mean, I think as body psychotherapists, we all have our perceptions of people. Uh-huh. And we can put in the various filters. We can see them as a person and the smile on their face. And we can also see the, the rigidities behind some of the body positions and, 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 and indeed the smile on the face. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like sort of, you know, transparent layers of, or, or filters that one can switch in, like, like at the opticians or something. Yeah. Um, these are useful. And I, I, I think body psychotherapy has more filters, if you like. Than some of the other psychotherapies, mm-hmm. um, but they aren't all. I mean, you're still meeting the person. Um, it's you cannot change them; they have to change. So there has to be some, you know, therapeutic alliance or, or a, a positive therapeutic relationship. Um, we know that that's based on 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 things like empathy and and and, and what have you, um, but also a lot has to do with the quality of contact. Yeah, um, and I'm not talking necessarily about touch. So, if most of my work, if you like, is along those levels or, or along those lines, using these filters, using this background knowledge. Um, as informative 
Mm-hmm. Maybe I can, I can, you know, and sometimes I do say, you know, I, I could make a guess that something like this, uh, you know, happened in your childhood. And they'll say, oh, my goodness. You know, I say, well, you know, <laughs> I'm not psychic. But, you know, I have experience. Mm-hmm. And it is just a guess. But if this was the case, then how could we work with this now? If, for example, your socialization by your parents did diminish your self-esteem, that you weren't made to feel very important or or liked or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. how, how can, how can, how can we, how can we change? This is what happened. But that's not who you are. That's what happened to you. Yeah. How can, how can we work with that now? What would, you know, and I, I try and talk to the person behind the problem, if you like. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. So, so, um, um, again, it feels very nice to see that also within the context where you say you uh, um, there is maybe a couple of weeks or two, three weeks between sessions and um, this is something where you're giving people tools to grow. So I'm assuming a lot of the growing happens also between sessions um, as you have um, reached people and suggested some things and uh, explored some things in a session. Oh, yes. I mean, I think that sort of model, uh, in the last, it's about five and a half years that I've been working within the health service, I've probably seen something in the region of 600 people as as referrals. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a percentage of those, you know, don't drop out or don't come back or... You know, there's always sort of somewhere like 12 to 15 percent that you don't connect with in some way or another. Mm-hmm. But um, on average, I see people for about six to eight sessions and spread over a three-month period. And I think that gives a re- people a reasonable chance to turn things around a little bit. And certainly, if they start off by doing some aerobic exercise a few times a week and also some reasonable, decent relaxation, you know, eight or nine times a week for two or three weeks, the next time you see them, they come back saying, oh, well, I'm I'm feeling myself, you know, this is me again. Mm -hmm. And I've still got this problem. My husband's left me or whatever it is. But, you know, they are back as a person. Right. Rather than being there as a distressed patient. Right, right, right. And so it's interesting because you are looking, as you say, at the person behind the problem, but you're also very conscious of um, the problem being the specifics of this person's problem plus something that is a society where we live where... Uh, say anxiety and depression are going to tend to be prevalent and um, you are uh, in a way giving people some hygiene uh, to find a way to deal better with these circumstances uh, so that they're going to get more of their resources to deal with the problems. 
Yeah, I'm not quite sure how you're using hygiene, but let's not get caught up with words. Certainly, um, I was I was I was referring to uh, biggest problem in Scotland is the Protestant work ethic, right? And it may be in America as well that that we get caught up into the should rather than you know seeing it as yes, well I could do this and I could do that. Um, what what works for me? Mm-hmm. And people sort of surrender. I mean, it's 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 very understandable with children and mortgages and you know bosses and 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 maybe one or two jobs and 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 all sorts. And I've done it. My I've I've got trapped like that myself. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't help them. None of that helps them to be a person. And so somehow you've got to, in my book, start talking to them as a person. Mm-hmm. Start being a person with them. If you like modeling in their imagination initially what that could be like. Well, given their situation, they're not gonna, they're not gonna all go off to Findhorn and, and drop out or, 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 or whatever. It's, it's, you know, but how could they be a bit more autonomous? How could mm-hmm. they express themselves a little bit more strongly? How could they feel better about themselves? And so we're moving into a sort of what I call a, a felt sense of being. Yeah. And I think, you know, if I, if I have a method or if I have a goal, it's to encourage people to experience that felt sense of being. That sounds very beautiful, and it's very nice, you know, as you're describing that expression of the felt sense of being, and also um, relating it to specific tools that can help them experience more of it or access it. Yeah, and it could be as simple as, you know, like, <laughs> when did you, la- I mean, w- at the moment we've got deep snow. Um, when did you, when did you last go sledging with your kids? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, 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 it's simple ways. What would work for you? You know, and I might, I might suggest a couple of examples, but I say, you know, these are only suggestions. I mean, What's amazing is that people know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Nearly everybody, if you talk to them about a felt sense of being, you know, within a context, they know what you're talking about. It, it's not an intellectual thing. It's mm-hmm. an experience of being themselves. And they, you know, they know what that is. And they, mm-hmm. they only feel it occasionally. And that's the tragedy. And so the idea is a sense of uh, it's possible to be able to feel it more and it's possible to live in that place more. Well, hopefully it's possible to live. I mean, you know, as I say, with credit crunches and mortgages and everything else, it's damn difficult. Yeah. Because they take you away from, take you away from yourself. But if you can reconnect with yourself more and more, you know, like do a little bit of autogenic technique on the bus on mm-hmm. the way to work. Or, you know, 
find, you know, join a Tai Chi class with your husband or something and, and start doing something together. Mm-hmm. You know, would this make you feel better about yourself? Mm-hmm. And if it would, fine, go do it. <laughs> you know, right. It's, 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 it's available <laughs> without <laughs> you having to change your whole lifestyle. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and, and in that sense, you know, it's, it's, it, we're very, very privileged. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com.